Welcome. This is the weekly Sunday sermon from Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. You can find us at ranchobaptistchurch.org. This week's message by Pastor Jason Swanson, the Gospel of John that you may believe, blessed by the bread of life. The original date of this message was the 26th of February, 2023. What a pleasure and privilege it is to gather together this morning in the name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to sing praises to him, to one another. I love those last two songs. Maybe only a holy God is, is new to you, but it is such a sweet sweet song. That is the reason why we've come, to worship him, to worship our holy, loving, righteous, and sovereign God. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the Gospel of John. As we continue to to work our way through the Gospel of John in an exposition, that we have titled that you may believe that is the reason why John wrote this gospel and this morning what we are going to see is that all those that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ they are we are truly blessed by the bread of life and if you'll remember we we kind of skipped over this section In John chapter 6, verses 35, all the way to 48, where we are going this morning. And Jesus is preaching this sermon that I would think he would have entitled, I am the bread of life. And remember, he's preaching this sermon to those who were blessed by the miracle that he did just the day before. Feeding them with five small little loaves that we saw were more like small little crackers and two fish that's more like fish jam. And it wasn't some 5,000 that were there. It was 20 to 25,000 people. We are talking an amazing amount of people that not only witnessed but got to partake in this food, this free meal, so to speak. And they follow, they seek after Jesus and What we're going to see is the tail end of what we saw last week in verse 34, that they still don't get it. Even though Jesus tells them, you know what, I'm I'm greater than Moses, I'm greater than the manna that was offered by Moses, that I am the bread from heaven, they still don't get it. Then they said to him, verse 34, Lord, give us this bread. And look at Jesus' response beginning in verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son 
and believes in him will have eternal life and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Therefore the Jews were grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. They were saying, is, this, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down out of heaven? Jesus answered and said to them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they shall be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the father except the one who is from God. He has seen the father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Let's pray for the preaching of God's word. Heavenly Father, we, we confess to you that at times our view of you is far too small and our view of ourselves is far too big. Help us to see you this morning as we ought to see you. The splendor, the majesty, the magnificent, the greatness of who you are and the wonder of your salvation. Bless our time in your word now, Lord. Open our eyes. I pray that if no one knows you, if someone here this morning does not know you, as the bread of life, as their savior, as the only one, that can grant them forgiveness for their sins, that can give them eternal life. That if someone here this morning or someone listening does not know you yet as their savior, may you save them this morning. May you bring them to yourself. May you open their blind eyes, tune their deaf ears to your wonderful good news of what you accomplished on the cross and what your life, death, and resurrection means. And for those of us that do know you, may you encourage us through your word with the salvation that you have brought and all that that salvation entails. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Let me point out two things really quickly before we get back into this text. Notice verse 35, what Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Verse 48, he repeats it, I am the bread of life. If you wanted to look at these verses put together, you could look at them as a, as a salvation sandwich. With Jesus saying who he is as, as both tops of, of the bread, so to speak. And then what, what he mentions here and what we are going to look at, we could look at that as the, as, as the meat of the sandwich. That all of this is what's comprised in salvation. And it is so good to come and to, to feast on God's word this morning. I don't know about you, but I, I had a bit of, of a disappointment this last week. And it was all because of the weathermen. 
It was because of the different channels that we watched and that I listened to and my my sons calling me and telling me they were supposed to get four feet up in Big Bear and and that the snow level had now lowered all the way to a thousand feet, which means Temecula should have gotten snow. And I was excited. Why? Because there's a golf course very close to our house that has these very long hills. And I was thinking, sweet, instead of having to drive all the way up to Big Bear to take the kids sledding, we, we can go five minutes before they go to school, in and out, high fives all around. And instead, no, it didn't happen Wednesday, <clears throat> didn't happen Thursday, didn't happen Friday, didn't happen Saturday. I, to, to be completely honest, last night it was so cold. I was, I was hoping and praying, Lord, maybe tomorrow we'll have a white Sunday. And you know whose fault it is? It's the weathermen. They let me down. Their promises weren't worth anything. And, and I jest, but I don't jest, right? The reality is outside of this, you don't know that what somebody is giving you is true. You, you don't know that the promise that they give is actually going to pan out. We, we even do this with our kids. Oh, we're gonna do such and such. And then something comes up and, and, and then what happens? It, it doesn't end up being a reality for that particular day. But there is one who never lies. And there is one one who, when he promises, what he promises and the blessing that he promises to us will indeed come to be true. And, And there is no other like that than our wonderful God who we already have sung praises to. And I pray that as you, as you hear God's word this morning, that the praise and the thanksgiving will continue to overflow in your heart to see all that God has done in bringing us salvation. This, this morning, in my estimation, is the best news ever. This message, these verses. God is sovereign and he's in control and he's working all things out according to his masterful plan. It isn't the plan that I would have come up with. Most likely it's not the plan you would have come up with. But it's his plan and it is good and he will bring it to completion. Because of all that Jesus has done for us, for those of us that believe in him, we will be blessed. That's the message this morning. In a nutshell, we will receive blessing upon blessing upon blessing. And this blessing compared to this feast for a day is so much greater. You see, we have to take everything that Jesus says here in light of what just happened. Even in verse 34 in their response, Lord, give, give us always this bread. That's, that's the way that you and I think. Why? Because not soon after we eat, we're hungry again. And so what the Lord Jesus Christ is going to give us through the writing of John this morning and and the words is what you and I need in order to be encouraged this morning. And the salvation that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. That if the Lord Jesus Christ becomes your bread of life, that if you believe in him, 
then we see that first, you will never hunger or thirst. Second, you will come to him. Third, you will never be cast out. And fourth, you will be lifted up, resurrected. I'm not going to say those again, so if you didn't get them, I'm just kidding. They're going to show up. This is such good truth. And and unlike the weatherman who, who tries to call it, but oftentimes misses what Jesus Christ says will happen, How many times are we going to see, I will, I will, I will, Jesus Christ declaring, or my father, my father, my father. And every time you see that, you can know for certain that that will come out exactly the way that they say that it will come out. And so what is the first encouraging word that we see for all those of us who would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? and take him as our bread of life. It is this, as crazy as it is, and as much as this doesn't make sense to us, that we will never hunger and we will never thirst. That's what Jesus attaches to him being the bread of life. That if you eat from him, then you will never hunger. Literally, what does he say? that if you come to him, you will not hunger. I didn't dig into this very deeply last week, but I mentioned it then. I'm going to mention it again. Coming involves repentance. That's what's understood, repentance and belief. That's what Jesus is preaching here. It's understanding how God looks at sin and how all sin must be punished and how how sin is viewed by God, no matter what perspective you're looking at it, as wrong and something that justifiably will indeed be punished. Either you will take that punishment, or if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, he already has, which is the best news ever. And so what what does Jesus say? He says, come, leave what you think will really satisfy you and make you happy. Leave what you think will allow God to accept you on the basis of all the right things that you do. Leave trying to earn your own self-righteousness, which is the way that so many of the Pharisees and religious Jews lived their life. And he says, come to me. And if you come to me, you will never grow hungry. Spurgeon says, this about repentance and the need that, that we all have for repentance, or I'm sorry, Spurgeon said this about repentance. You and your sins must separate or you and your God will never come together. Why? Because our God is a holy God. We just sang about him. Something must be done to pacify, placate, satisfy God's wrath towards sin. That's the message of the gospel that something has been done, something glorious, something beyond our imagination, something that really doesn't make sense to us. And that something is grace poured out to us in the form of his son. And so we see that that Jesus is letting us all know that what he offers is so much greater, not just of what the manna that Moses offered, 
but even from what he offered yesterday to all of them. As there's this comparison, right, to where they think that that what they need is they need Jesus every day. That's what they want. They want this bread every day. Always give us this bread. And perhaps they're they're pointing and thinking back, even if they're looking at things in a a spiritual manner, and they're thinking of the atonement, and they're thinking of, of their sin and how it will be paid for. What are they thinking of? They're thinking of the sacrificial system. They're thinking of sacrificing a lamb. They're thinking of the way that God has instituted how sin would be paid for back in the Old Testament in so many different ways. And what was the calling card? It was never a once and for all kind of thing. It was continually do this year after year after year after year. And what Jesus offers is something entirely different. We know from scripture that Jesus died once and for all. And that is what he's stating here. He's saying, come to me once. Truly believe in me and your life will be forever changed. And you will find true satisfaction for your soul. And you won't have to go looking for it anywhere else. Come to me and that is where you will find that satisfaction that will never need to be given to you again and again and again. But once you receive me, then I am with you forever. Just as Jesus satisfied the wrath of God through his life-giving sacrificial death on the cross for sin, now Christ truly satisfies all of those who believe in him for all of eternity. Think about it. When was the last time that you weren't hungry? Perhaps it was this week for you. Perhaps like me, you're a lot wiser than I am and and you've already learned when to stop so that you don't get so stuffed that, that it just feels miserable for the next hour or two hours. For me, my, my killer is going to Phil's barbecue. I, I, should, have, I should stop earlier than I stop. And I, and I get so full that, that, that it's, it's uncomfortable. And, and maybe you know what that's like. The picture here is, is not like that. Why? Because no matter how full I get, and if I'm talking about dinner, I'm hungry again by morning. If I'm talking about breakfast, I'm hungry again by lunch. If I have a great lunch and I'm full, I'm usually hungry by dinner. How long can you go not being hungry? You can't go very long. That's the picture that Jesus is saying. He's saying as much as you understand that you must eat, and and he's not telling us that we shouldn't eat. What he's saying is if you want your soul to be perfectly satisfied, stop chasing after all these other things and come to what? Come to me. I am the only one that can satisfy you. You won't find satisfaction outside of me. I am all you need and I'm all that you will ever need. That is what Jesus Christ is saying. He says it in other places. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. In in three verses that if you don't have them underlined in your Bible, these would be three verses that, that would be an encouragement for you. 
particularly when you find yourself in some sort of decision that you don't know where to go and you're burdened by something or a hardship, the loss of a loved one, the doctor visit. Look at what Jesus says and notice what he says first. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's no rest outside of Jesus Christ. You'll keep searching and searching and searching, trying to fill that void that you have with all sorts of other things, but you will truly not find rest outside of Jesus. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find, look at this, rest for your souls. Even in the midst of craziness, even in the midst of confusion, where do you find rest for your souls? You find, them by, find it by coming to Jesus, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So we, we know that Jesus says that we must come to him. We know that he will give us rest. We know that in him and only in him will we not hunger or thirst anymore. But the problem is we don't. We, we don't always run to Jesus. Oftentimes in the, in the number of, of the priority of where you go first, Jesus is what, number four, number five? When you find yourself in, in some sort of tight spot, oh, you call the plumber. You, you don't call Jesus and ask him to give you wisdom. You, you run to what you know that, that will solve the problem, but you're not thinking about the fact of the one who will give you peace. So that perhaps when the plumber comes and he breaks something, or you find that the issue is much larger than you thought, then you're filtering everything through the perspective of the one who knows you and loved you and died for you that he can give your soul rest. And what's the condition for finding soul, our our rest for our soul? What's the condition for us not growing hungry anymore? What's the condition for us not thirsting anymore? Because being thirsty is the same thing. You know, we, we get parched, we drink water, but then within a certain amount of time, what do you need again? You need more water. So what is the condition? We know that seeing him isn't enough because these have seen him. They've watched him. They've listened to him. Hearing him isn't even enough. We could also say following him isn't enough because they're following him, but they miss him. The condition is coming to him and not coming to him on on how you want to come to him but come to him on the basis of how he says you must come to him. Really how he says you will come to him. Which begs the question, how do you come to Jesus? Do you choose Jesus or does he choose you? I want you to wrestle with that this morning because that's where our text goes. That's where Jesus goes and he goes there emphatically. And he goes there explicitly. Who is it that chooses? Is it you or is it God? Who's in the driver's seat? 
Who's the one purposing all things? That is where Jesus goes next. Not only will you not hunger or thirst, but you will come to him. Look at verse 37, just the first half. Look at what Jesus says. All that the Father gives me will come to me. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Who is it that come to Jesus? Those whom the Father gives to Jesus. Those who the Father has given to Jesus. So who's the initiator? Who's the instigator? Who's the one active? And and who is the one that is passive? God the Father is the initiator. God the Father is the instigator. God the Father is the one who directs everything. That we might come to Jesus. You see, God is the active one. We are, we are the recipients. And in fact, what it says here as, is that those of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're actually a gift. Because we're going to be given to the Lord Jesus Christ by the Father. In an act of, of thanksgiving, appreciation satisfaction with what Jesus has done. All pointing back to the fact that what Jesus did was satisfy God's wrath. To allow some, not all, to come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in this, we see that there is certainty in the Father giving us to the Son that is based upon him. That there's no question as to whether or not it will happen, right? No, oh, well, it might happen if you, no, it will happen. You've been given as a gift. Remember, God doesn't exist in time like we do. So he's purposed, he's willed all of this to happen already. And at some point, it's not the way that we are. When we give gifts at times, what do you really want? And then you hope that your wife forgets that she showed you something. So that when you give it to her on Christmas, she's like, oh, I totally forgot. That isn't how it is with God. It starts with him. It it doesn't start with us. And then he, in this amazing way, will will present us to Christ. Give us to him as, as if a gift. This is all part of what we're going to see the Father's plan. All that the Father plans to come will what? Will come. God will not let his will be unaccomplished. He's got a perfect track record. And he will continue to perfectly do his will as so will Jesus Christ. So we see that, that first, God will draw or God will give us to Jesus Christ, but, but then look at verse 44. As he brings this home even, even more clearly as to who is the active one, who is in the driver's seat of salvation. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. 
that it is the Father who draws us to the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder if the reason why the Lord is saying all of this isn't so much for those that are rejecting him because they will continue to reject him, but it's for those that are his disciples, for those that will truly believe in the encouragement that they would get recognizing that that not everyone is going to continue to reject the Lord Jesus Christ, that some, by God's wonderful grace, he will draw them to the Lord Jesus Christ. This word draws is strong. No, it's not drawing a picture, it's drawing, pulling someone in. Think Star Wars and that tractor that, that pulls people, pulls this the ship in, the tractor beam, right? It literally means to draw a person in a certain direction, to compel or constrain someone to do something, to put forth power in such a way that the object seized is obliged to respond. You will respond because why? The father is drawing you to the son. Do you know where the same word is used? The, the same word is used in regards to, to normal physical things. In John 18.10, we're gonna see that, that when the soldiers come to the Garden of Gethsemane to take Jesus, what does Peter do? He, he draws his sword. The sword doesn't say, oh, please draw me. No, no, he, he draws the sword. And then he cuts off the high priest's servant's ear. Jesus heals it. It's not there alone at at, at the end in John 21 as we get to the end of the gospel after Jesus has risen from the dead. Peter and and his boys, the fishermen, they go back to fishing and, and they're at the boat and Jesus appears, but they don't know it's Jesus and he's off to the side and he tells them, hey, cast your, cast your net over here to this side and when they do that, they just get an enormous amount of fish and, and their net is full up but it's not breaking and that, that it's understood that that doesn't make sense but the disciple whom Jesus loved right John he figures it out quicker than anybody and he says Peter that's that's Jesus and what does Peter do he jumps out of the boat and he and he runs for Jesus right through the water and Jesus says hey get some of those fish that you just caught And so then it says that Peter then, he drew the fishnet to the land. That's the picture. That Jesus, God the Father, the way that all of this happens is is we are like the fish. That he draws us to the Son. But I don't want us to think that, oh, well, because that is the case, then Pastor Jason, I guess I have no responsibility. I don't need to worry about preaching the gospel. Why did you go to Papua New Guinea if they were already gonna be drawn by the Lord? Because it is our responsibility because we don't know who will be saved. And so what what are we like? We're like the net and God is like the one who draws in. And so when you go and you share the Lord Jesus Christ with someone, you pray. You pray that as you are sharing the gospel with that person, that the Lord would draw them to himself. And does this happen the first time, generally, when you go out? 
We, we could do another survey and ask how many of you, the first time you shared Jesus with someone that they believed, my guess is most of us would have our hands down and maybe a couple people. That's not the norm. What it's probably going to take is going to that person again and again and again and trusting that the Lord Jesus Christ in his good timing will bring that person to himself. You see, the Lord is the one that is sovereign in the salvation of a human soul. The only way someone can be saved is if God draws that person to himself. The reality is, and and, and whether or not you recognize this when you believed, I didn't understand all of this. But the reality is we need divine help. I need divine help. You need divine help. Whoever you're sharing the gospel with, they need divine help. Something that's outside of them, that's gonna act upon them. It's gonna bring them to the Lord. Something must happen that's outside of us to draw us to the Lord. Perhaps as as you're listening to this, some, some little reminders are going off in your mind. You're like, well, Pastor Jason, this sounds like something I've heard before. What do they call it? The doctrine of election? Predestination? Is is that what you're talking about? No, that's what Jesus is talking about. Notice, this is what Jesus says. This is what Jesus teaches. This is what we all must come to grips with and try to wrap our arms around and understand. And, 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 and as I understand it, you know what this does? This just frees me and, and causes me to be so thankful for what the Lord has done, drawing me to himself. Because I recognize definitely more than any of you. In fact, the only one that's even close would be that woman sitting right there who has to live with me and deal with me and deal with my sinfulness over and over again. Praise the Lord, I know that I am redeemed, but I am not what I'm going to be. We lived with a people group for a number of years who would do vile things. Things that none of you would wanna see. Why? Because they are depraved. Because that is their natural inclination to go the other way and to do that which they shouldn't be doing. And so I want us all to understand that this didn't originate with some guy named Paul in Ephesians or Romans. Listen, I, I, I don't know how else to, to make this clear. And you're like, what? Okay, I, I, I know I don't normally do. I would do this in Siawi all the time. You just never knew what I was gonna use as an illustration. Look, I, I don't know what kind of shoe this is. What, what you would say label of the shoe. I, I don't care. <laughs> I noticed online, people pay $10,000 for a shoe. That makes no sense to me. I'm not into labels with my clothes. I I go with, honestly, what's as inexpensive as I can get and yet will last and is comfortable. I thought this was leather, but I don't even know this is leather. All that to say, I don't know what you think when, when you think of Rancho Baptist Church. We've been asked, hey, are... Are you guys a Reformed Baptist church? Are you Calvinistic? Are you Arminian? And, and you know what my response is? We're a Jesusistic church. Okay, I, I, didn't, 
I didn't stumble upon these through reading Calvin's Institutes. Calvin's Institutes puts me to sleep. And, and I've read them. And there's lots of truth in it. But I'm, I'm not about following a man. I'm about following Jesus Christ. That's what our church is all about. We're about our Redeemer. I don't, I don't want to step on any toes, but we're, we're not, we're, yes, we're Baptist in name, but in name only. That, that's not even our denomination. We separated from them. Why? Because that isn't who we are. Our identity is on the one that laid on that cross, hung on the cross. That's who we are. That's what we're all about. That's what we're going to go with again and again and again. What Jesus Christ says, what the word of God says. And is this difficult to wrap our heads around? Yes, I agree. But oh, so good to know that Jesus Christ is the one that is in control. That the kind of church that we want to be is a church all about him and focused on our Redeemer. Now, I don't know if this is a good illustration, but I'm going to throw it out. Because nobody came up to me after first service and said, that, that was just an absolute bomb. That just... So when I was a kid, we had this cool game. Okay, capture the flag is like my all-time favorite game, but that doesn't work for this illustration. Red Rover, Red Rover. Did you guys play that? Red Rover, Red Rover. Man, I loved Red Rover, Red Rover. Even if the strong kids took me out of the neck and I did like the full-on flip backwards and I, and I was down. I still loved it. So you have a line of people over there, a line of people over here. Everybody locks hands and you say, Red Rover, Red Rover, send Jason over. And I just book it as fast as I can to the other side of that group. And I'm singling out the two little girls who have this, the, the weakest little hands. And I know that as I get, I, I, I scream a little bit as I get closer. Rah! And then what do they do? They just let go. They just give up. And then I get to take them both over to my side. Okay, is that your perspective on your salvation? That it was you, it was your desire to chase after Christ. That you said in, in your mind, oh man, yes, I can't wait. I want that. I'm going to run over to Jesus. And so what do you do? You run as fast as you can and you bust right through. And then he says, well, I guess I have to take you. Or could it be that he's the one running? That God the Father is taking you when, when you're held captive in your sin. And it's not that you're holding on to Satan. He's holding on to you. And you're shackled. And you don't even recognize the shackles that you're holding. And you don't even recognize when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, all that God is doing behind the scenes. And then you, then you come back to a verse like this later. And then the lights go on. And then you understand, man, it wasn't about as me as much as I thought. All that I brought to the table was faith praise you. Then when you proclaim the gospel to an entire tribe of people and a lot of them believe and a lot of them don't, you don't beat yourself up. You don't go over to the people that are continuing to refuse and to refuse and to refuse. You keep praying for them, but you recognize how huge it is that you believed and that it is an act of God's grace poured out to us. And so you rejoice in all of those that call Jesus their Lord and Savior, their bread of life. 
And you know how sweet it was to sit and listen to you guys sing this morning? Only a holy God, holy, holy, holy. And we stopped all the instruments towards the end. Praise the Lord. That was like sweet on top of sweet. That's what heaven's gonna be. That's giving praise to our wonderful God. What happens if someone doesn't respond? Is that God's fault? After all, he's the one that draws. After all, he's the one that's gonna give all of believers to the Lord Jesus Christ. Us collective, as one group, that's, that's what it means in the Greek, the one, or the all means really just one collective group. That's how he looks at us. That's how glorious this salvation is. A people from every tribe, language group, tongue, all collected into one and given to the Lord Jesus Christ. So when someone doesn't believe, is it God's fault? Listen to me, God doesn't keep someone from coming to him. Do you know what keeps someone from coming to him? We've already seen it in the gospel of John. Perhaps you've seen it in some of the people that you've shared the gospel with. It's their pride. It's their unbelief. It's their rebellion towards God. They, they don't want that. So God isn't the one that's gonna be held responsible for them spending all of eternity in hell, just as he's not gonna be responsible for Satan's rebellion. That's on who? That's on Satan, that's on them. And, and, and do I truly grasp what I'm saying? Do, do I truly understand? Does this make perfect sense to me? That, that God holds those accountable who will willingly push him away, but then graciously and freely gives others, us, Christ. Even though I've done nothing but deserve eternal torment and punishment. Does that really make sense to me? No, but I call it grace. That's grace. Grace doesn't make sense. We, we, we should all be held accountable forever and sentenced to life of eternal death. That makes much more sense to me than what Jesus is presenting to us. And he adds to it when we get to verse 45, just in case we, we might miss it and think, oh, well, well, so then when you hear the gospel, it's, it's, it's your mind engaging and then you find, no, actually the father is the one that is teaching. It is written in the prophets and they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned Notice, first you're taught of God, but how do you learn? How do you hear? You learn from the Father. It comes to me. When you share the gospel, this is why we can have confidence when we share the gospel. Not because we'll have all the answers that they throw at us. Are you kidding me? Not because we're so articulate. Not because we're so convincing. But because it's about God the Father accomplishing his purpose and his will. That's where the confidence comes. That's why we can share Christ over and over again and just leave the results to him. Let him do the pulling of the, of the fish whom he has chosen. So we see first, you will never hunger or thirst when you come to Jesus. Second, that you will come to Jesus. I believe that's a present now when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's a future aspect as well as a present reality in the process of sanctification. We are to come to Jesus over and over again. And then third, you will not be cast out. 
This is such good news. Look at verse 37. The second half, we've already started on it. All that the Father gives me will come to me and the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. Why? For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So what is God's will? God's will is that you would be secure, that you are his prized possession. Remember, you are going to be given to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when that exchange happens and you believe and you are transformed, you are regenerated, you have no longer been, you will no longer be on Satan's side, so to speak, but you have now become a child of God. What happens? Just as I talked about with the Red Rover illustration, Jesus Christ holds you and he'll never let you go. He can't. Why? Because it's the will of the Father and Jesus is committed to doing the will of the Father, not his own will. That is so encouraging to know that it's not based upon me. It's not even based upon my my believing in him. It's based upon Jesus Christ fulfilling the will of the Father. And we know that Jesus perfectly accomplished the will of the Father upon the cross, but he's not done yet. He will perfectly accomplish all of the will of the Father, which gets us to the the fourth blessing that he mentions three times. Why? Because we need to be constantly reminded that this is not all that there is to our life, that this life is fleeting, that this life is temporary, Don't fall into the trap that the world and our society and your flesh wants to give you over and over again that you can live your best life now. No, our best life is coming. Unless you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, then your worst life is coming. But look at what he says. First in, in, in verse 39, this is the will of him who sent me that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but I raise it up on the last day. Then he goes on in verse 40, for this is the will of my father that everyone who beholds the son, notice that, beholds the son. He said, you've seen me, but you've missed me. But there is a way to behold the Lord Jesus Christ where you understand who he is and you see him for who he is and you accept that. That, those who then believe in, believes in him will have eternal life and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Again, this is what the Lord Jesus Christ is going to do. He is gonna raise us up. He is the first we will follow. All of us will follow. Then finally in verse 44, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus doesn't want us to miss this. He wants to give us confidence for ourselves and those of us that have loved ones that pass before us to know that that's all part of God's plan. That's salvation. Salvation is an entire package. It's not just you believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and then experiencing eternal life right now. It's you one day being resurrected and being glorified where you can spend all of eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ, with all fellow believers to the praise of the Lord. And how wonderful he is. 
Jesus talks about the future resurrection so many times in these verses and it's because he's thinking through this salvation sandwich and he wants us to understand that as we behold him and all that he is and the salvation that he has given to us, that it will be completed. That one day what we are now experiencing will not be the same. That we'll be glorified. We see this in Romans 8, 29 to 30. We see this in Revelation 19, 14, that we will be united with Christ, we'll reign with Christ. But let me go back to 41 to, to 42, 42 as we kind of wrap things up. I believe that Jesus keeps kind of speaking to both groups. And he, and he at times wants to encourage those that are his disciples that, Remember, he went and met on the, river, on the Sea of Galilee, on the water, walking across the water. And he wants to encourage them in case perhaps they become discouraged with all those that are rejecting Jesus and not getting it. And then we see, therefore, the Jews were grumbling about him. It's the same word used for the, the Jews grumbling to Moses in the wilderness. Why did you bring us here? Because he said, I'm the bread that came down out of heaven. They were saying, is, this not, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? Listen, they were wrong on so many accounts. Jesus had no earthly father. He was miraculously conceived by the Holy Spirit. He is not who they think he is. Is Jesus who you think he is? They miss him. Are you gonna miss him? How does he now say, I have come down out of heaven? He says it because he is perfectly God. He did come out of heaven. And so it is only through him that we could know what heaven is, that we could know who God the Father is because God the Father is spirit. And the way that that the triune God has chosen to reveal himself to us is through the physical form of the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of God taking on human form and flesh. And just what is amazing And you would think that with all this happening that maybe some of the disciples would get a little discouraged. Maybe that's why Jesus ends the way that he does in 47 and 48. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. Hey, don't be deceived. There will be some who will believe. Those whom the Father draws to me. You guys are not alone. And we here gathered this morning, we're not alone. There's people all over the world gathering who all believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says again, I am the bread of life. Is he speaking only to them? No, we see, in in fact, turn there. John chapter 10. Jesus is speaking really with others in mind as well. Those whom he's speaking to, particularly those disciples that he walked up to on on the Sea of Galilee. John chapter 10, verses 14 to 16. Look at what he says. I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me, even as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. 
I must bring them also and they will hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. Who are these other sheep? It's who Jesus speaks about and prays for in John chapter 17. And let's close our time here. I'm gonna read through six all the way to to verse 18 because there's so much in here that is similar to what Jesus says in John chapter six. How we are given from the father to the son. And that, who, that is who Jesus prays for. All those that you, are, that you gave me and will give me. Look at verse six. I've manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you have given me, I, gave to the, I have given to them. And they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you. And they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me. There it is again. For they are yours And all things that are mine are yours and yours are mine and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world and yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me. And I guarded them and not one of them perished but the son of perdition, so that the scriptures, scripture would be fulfilled. Again, the reiteration that he will not let any of us go. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. We speak of God's salvation. It should cause us to be full of joy, rejoicing in the glorious gospel that has saved us. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world. This is what I wanted to leave us with. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. All of us who have, by God's wonderful grace, believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, all of us who have come to him, and all of us who one day will be raised by him, all of us who make up Christ's church, we have a job. Until he comes back, we are supposed to share him with others. May I encourage you all that as a group from our church gathers on Friday nights, This coming up Friday night, they're gonna be going to the mall. They have a teaching time and then they have an outreach time. Last Friday was their teaching time. This Friday is the outreach time. You can join anytime. They start at six o'clock. They meet right directly back in, in A, the modular building behind us. And if you come, great. If you don't come, will you commit yourself to praying for them? That as the gospel goes forth on, on Friday nights, that, that, that the Lord would fill them with courage and boldness to proclaim him, 
and that the Lord would do the same thing with us. You're gonna have opportunities as we get closer to, to Easter, to our resurrection service, to go and to hand out cards, welcome invitation cards, inviting folks to come to our church. We're going to do an outside service. I wanna see it packed and I wanna see lots of people who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as their savior. So let's invite our neighbors and let's see what the Lord will do, amen? Okay, let me pray us out. Heavenly Father, we stop and we thank you for you are so good to us. We thank you for a salvation that goes beyond description, beyond our understanding, that you would draw us near to your son, that you would give us to your son, and that as we believe in you, Lord Jesus, that you would perfectly satisfy our souls and that you will never leave us nor forsake us. You will not cast us out. And Lord, one day we will be raised in glory like yourself, but not perfectly like you. We thank you that we have all of eternity to grow in our knowledge and understanding of of who you are without the the sin-soaked and stained mind and flesh that plagues us here, Lord. We thank you that you are continuing to renew our minds. We thank you for the new nature that you've given us. We thank you for all that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would be honored and glorified as we go out from here. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.